Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. We're in a series called Unleashed. We've been talking uh, about these things that have been keeping us locked up inside, right? These things that keep us in bondage in our mind, in our heart, keep us from growing in the Lord, keep us from flourishing in our life. And today we are going to be talking about forgiveness, what it means to be people who practice forgiveness, who get really, really good at forgiving other people. We're going to touch on what forgiveness is. We're going to talk a little bit about what forgiveness is not because there are some misconceptions there. We're going to talk about what it does to us when we let unforgiveness get inside and we can't just seem to get released from that. We want some people to find freedom in the house today from this poison of unforgiveness and bitterness. Amen. Over the years as I've talked to folks, so many people who wrestle with this inability to forgive. You know, it doesn't make you an evil person. It kind of makes you a human being. That's just something that seems to be part of being human. Many times it stems from an inability to forgive ourselves. And so we agonize whether we or somebody else is, is really worthy of forgiveness. And if we are, how do we get there? How do we, you know, what on earth does it look like to forgive freely? And how do we, how do we find this? For many of us, the thing that is holding us back from moving forward in life is this ancient story that plays out in our head that says, somebody hurt me. Someone did something, someone wronged me, and I don't know what to do about this wrong that they did. And it's just sitting here and I'm left holding it like like a package that I don't want. I'm left holding it and I don't know what to do with this anger, this bitterness, this rage. Sometimes it might be a best friend from the past who did something or a spouse or a family member. Somebody did something to betray me. It may have been recent. It might have been 20 years ago. And I may even think that I've gotten over it completely. And then something will happen. I'll see an Instagram post or I'll see someone across the other end of the grocery store and then bam, there it is. Immediately, that pit of rage is back in my stomach, that bitterness, like it never left. And so we're desperate for freedom. Um, So we're going to, let's see if we can't discover a path to to healing here, shall we? Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to start. Jesus is on the cross. He has been beaten, betrayed sold out basically by his closest friends, and he's been flogged, mocked, spit on. And all of this, Jesus says in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So in the midst of all this pain, this agony, and all this suffering, all this injustice done to him, Jesus' impulse, what's on his mind, is forgiveness. That's what's on his mind. Now, let's go back even further in time a little bit. 150 years before Christ. This is a period we don't know much about into the Bible. There's nothing, you know, there's this 400 years of silence after Malachi, between Malachi and Matthew. But about 150 years before Jesus was a time of tremendous persecution of the Jewish people. Uh, They found themselves suffering under yet another pagan empire. Uh, This time it was the Seleucid Empire. Uh, that conquered, that occupied Israel. They were descended from some Greek ancestors, Alexander the Great and those guys. Um, And so the king of this empire, they determined they were going to totally crush the Jewish people all throughout Judea. And they didn't just want to like 
rule them, they wanted to stamp out their Jewishness. They wanted to uh, make them, force them to give up their religion. Basically, their goal was to turn them into Greeks. That was their goal. So around this time, there was this Jewish priest by the name of Mattathias, and he led an uprising. He was a priest in the temple, but he led a revolt against the oppression, and he was captured. He was sentenced to death for his activities, for resisting this forced assimilation program of, of the Seleucid Empire. And as he lay dying, this priest, this warrior priest, he cried out, avenge me, avenge the wrong done to your people. Pay back these Gentiles in full. And one of the men who heard these dying words was one of his, son, his youngest son, whose name was Judah, who would go on to be known in history as Judah Maccabee, which means Judah the Hammer. And, and uh, that's because he became a revolutionary leader of the day. He, got a, he was engaged in all this guerrilla warfare against the Greeks. He took his father's words to heart. He brought the hammer down. And even though this revolution ended up ending in failure, they managed to kick out their, their Greek masters and just replace them with Roman masters by the time you get to Jesus. But Judah Maccabee becomes, over the years, he became this legend to the Jewish people. He, he, there was a story he once marched all night to launch a surprise attack against a huge Seleucid army and at the Battle of Emmaus. And it, so it was kind of this David and Goliath victory for him. So he became this legend, Judah Maccabee, the hammer. And it would be kind of like similar to how, you know, Americans revere, uh, Abra uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, like George Washington, you know, for crossing the Delaware uh, in the middle of the Christmas morning to surprise the British troops or something like that. They held this kind of reverence for him as this great deliverer. And Judah Maccabee became the prototype for the Messiah. That's what they had in mind. So skip 150 years into the future, little babies being born in Bethlehem. And around this time, people living throughout Roman-occupied Judea are saying, we need us another Judah Maccabee. We need another hammer to come, right? We need, we need another national hero like Judah Maccabee to come, put the hammer down, make Israel glorious once again, bring back our glory, become, and that'll become our Messiah. And so on this scene, Jesus comes, and he comes announcing the kingdom of God, and he's doing wonders, and he's performing miracles, right? And so the people start going, I think he's the one. This has got to be it. He's the second coming of Judah Maccabee. He's here, right? This is going to be our Messiah. Jesus is going to be our hammer against these Romans. But then Jesus disappoints them because he doesn't talk about vengeance. He, he talks about loving your enemies. And he, when he preaches in his hometown, there's a story where he, he preaches in his hometown. Everybody knows who he is. He's come back. He's preaching in the synagogue and he's preaching about this different kind of kingdom. And, and he's talking about, we're going to show love instead of the sword. And they are not just disappointed. They want to throw him off the cliff. They are so angry at this different brand of Messiah. And he shows this message, he preaches this message all throughout his ministry from beginning to end. And when, like all the national heroes before him, he is eventually executed by the empire, 
he does not repeat the words of Mattathias to say, avenge me, my followers. Pay back the Romans in full. He doesn't say that. Rather, what does he say? From the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, on the cross, is thinking about forgiveness. This is what's on his mind. Now, skip forward 22,000 years to today. There's something still in our DNA, you and me, there's something in our DNA God has hardwired us with that longs for justice. Isn't that true? There's something in there. And when we see something wrong, we want to see it made right. That's just, that's just in our blood. This impulse, it could actually have a fantastic effect on the world, right? When we uphold the cause of the vulnerable, uh, when we rush like Jesus to the side of the persecuted, the one who is underprivileged, the victim, when we rush to the side to defend. This, you could even make the case that this is, is, is a glimpse of the image of God that we bear. The problem is that when you, you combine this divine longing for justice with a fallen, essentially selfish human being, what results isn't always a search for justice in the form of reconciliation and healing which is God's brand of justice, to reconcile, to heal. Rather, it's a, it's a retributive form of justice called revenge. That's what justice, this divine justice, looks like when it's filtered through our fallen nature. Revenge. Revenge doesn't actually restore anything, right? It doesn't uh, restore what was stolen. It doesn't take back words that were said. It doesn't heal really any harm that was inflicted. All it does, all revenge does is inflict more harm to try to balance the scales. That's what we call justice, right? You did all of this. Well, we're going to inflict all this and it balances the scales. The problem with balancing the scales is it just makes everyone sink lower. There's no healing that's taken place. You're not better, right? And what inevitably results in all of this is that any, there isn't any healing of the original wrong done or, or the word said or the abuse that was inflicted, or that juicy piece of gossip that got spread about you. What is left for the one who was hurt is still the same pain in the soul, but now it festers and metastasizes into unforgiveness. You ever walk into a situation, walk in a room or a group of people or a family or something like that, and you're like, wait, why are things so weird in here? And people are like, oh, because 18 years ago, so-and-so said something to so-and-so, and it like became this big, and then it just blew up, and now it's just, yeah. And, and so why the, whether it's something that is so horrible, it once happened to you that it's made you touchy, so touchy, like nobody around you, everybody around you knows, like don't bring it up. Or maybe it's former friends who don't speak anymore because of politics or, or those awkward family reunions that you have to learn where the landmines are or a church picnic, right? You gotta, and there's, all, there's these landmines everywhere. It all comes back to a word or a deed that cannot be taken back Right? We don't have a TARDIS. We can't go back in time and change it. I know it. <laughs> you can't make it to have never have happened or never have been said. And so in our humanity, we don't 
know what to do with it. It just sits there. And for some people, it's not so much about revenge. That hurt gets internalized. It sits in our gut like a stone, and just for years it poisons us with thoughts like, well, maybe I guess that thing that was done to me maybe was some kind of statement about my value, my worthiness. Maybe this thing that was done to me, I actually deserved it. And we live with that. As a pastor over the years, I've, and just a friend of folks, I, I've, I've seen this in, in divorce. Uh, someone will go through just some bloody, awful divorce, some breakup, and, and they're still carrying it around, and they're thinking, I guess this means I'm beyond love, I'm beyond hope, doomed to loneliness. And what is that? It's this deep, primal wound that's never been forgiven. And so it's just carried around like this limp we get used to. And it shows up in, in toxic baggage like we talked about the last couple of weeks, shame and depression. It can show up. All these things are, you know, there's a Venn diagram with some of us are crossing over into multiple things here. But ultimately, that, that stone of unforgiveness, it's exhausting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Carrying that around? Have you ever just felt exhausted? Because of a beef, carrying it around, and sometimes you un, you end up unleashing it on other people unsuspectingly. Like they they don't know what's going on. They have no idea why you're blowing up at them, or you don't know why why you were so angry at the traffic, right? Or so you're so furious at what's happening on the news or something like that. What is it about? It, you know, it just may be. It may not be that your kids didn't clean their room or the traffic, or what's on the news at all. It may be something deep down, something much further deep, deeper going on. So how do we find freedom? How do we unleash forgiveness in our life? That's what we want here. Like everything else we're talking about in this series, there's a God part and there's a you part. We believe that. We believe we partner with God in, in, when it comes time for healing. That's just the way God likes to work with us. And so the you part of all of this begins with this decision that right now, today, you are no longer going to supply this burning fire with any fuel. No longer. That you're going to take captive every thought that demands that person's head, that demands that they pay back in kind the way they hurt you. Now, here's the truth. Right? Let's, let's get the hard part of this out of the way. This is going to feel like agony. This will feel... It, it, in fact, it's a form of suffering. It really is. Somebody, think about it, somebody has wronged you. And, and instead of fueling that injury in your soul, instead of getting that divine cosmic justice that makes it all right, you're letting the resentment that, that you carry begin to burn lower and lower and lower and even that will feel like a kind of death. It really will. Because it's letting go of what your brain tells you is owed you. It feels like death. But it is a death that leads to resurrection. Amen. This is the difference, right? Instead of the death of unforgiveness, which is never ending, that's what you've been experiencing. It has no end. Now you're choosing to step into the footprints of Jesus Christ, right? You're picking up your cross and you're going to die to what is rightfully yours in order to bury it in the grave once and for all. 
that impossible debt owed to you, because really it is impossible. They can't give you back the time. They can't give you back your peace, your reputation. They can't give that back to you. So it's an impossible debt, and you're going to bury it. But for you, what feels like a death will lead to a resurrection. This is the Christ pattern for living, right? Living Jesus-y, like we like to say. Not avenge my sons, but forgive them, my father. It's one thing to just intellectually agree, you know, to the gospel, to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died. You know, we're all forgiven. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I believe it. That's one thing. It's another thing to actually live this pattern of death and rebirth. Have you ever met somebody how different they are from like anybody else you've ever met uh, when they have crossed over from just mentally sort of assenting to all the like the right doctrines and the orthodox stuff to and they have personally fully experienced that sheer terror and wonder of God's grace for themselves. These are people who have been forgiven much and, and they have found on the other side of suffering freedom in forgiving others for everything and they are no longer who they were. Those are different kind of people when you meet them. There's some in their eyes. Uh, the writer Parker Palmer says this. He has a book on paradox and he says, the cross says the pain stops here. The pain stops here. The way of the cross is a way of absorbing pain, not passing it on, a way that it transforms pain from destructive impulse into creative power. I love that phrase, transforming from destructive impulse to creative power. See, destructive impulse says, you handed this back to me? Oh, I'm going to hand it back to you and it's going to be ticking, right? It's going to be on fire. And when that doesn't make me feel any better, because it won't, then then. I'm going to lock you up and you may have gotten away, but I will always keep you locked up in this torture chamber of my soul and you'll never get out of here. That's the destructive impulse. Forgiveness is letting the cross transform that destructive impulse into creative power. It says, I forgive you. I release you. And as I do, I am going to experience God's love. I'm going to experience the love of the divine in such a new and transformative way. I'm not going to be able to see you the same way again because I am not going to be the same way again. Forgiveness is setting someone free and realizing that that person was you. It's why when you see somebody who is truly forgiven everything, when you meet those kind of people, because they have also fully accepted God's forgiveness. When you see them, they're alive. They're alive. They're like, they have this ocean of compassion in their eyes. There's something there. It's like heaven crashing into earth. It's just such a beautiful thing. And, and they, people gravitate towards them. This is somebody who has said no to destructive impulse. And they've said yes to this creative power. Parker Palmer also says, uh, when Jesus accepted the cross, his death opened up a channel for the redeeming power of love. Jesus on the cross. And his last words are, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. His final thoughts are about forgiveness. No cosmic back and forth. No more divine revenge. Jesus is saying the pain stops the pain stops here. This is why the gospel writers and the apostles for years after painted a picture for us 
of a whole church, the body of Christ, made up of whole groups of people, whole communities who took this forgiveness thing one step further, right? Not just to this personal level of me and, and the thing that was done wrong to me, and so I'm going to let that go. But now a whole, when a whole group of people really get good at forgiving, oh, baby, all of, all of culture starts to shift, right? When large numbers of people start saying, no, no, the pain stops here. We will not retaliate. We will not go after you. We will not continue this illusion that revenge is going to make us all feel better. Forgiveness starts changing the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, as I promised, a couple of things. I want to take a little caveat here. We, we'll talk, let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Because when you say the word forgiveness, immediately there's this little protest voice in our head that goes, yeah, but what about, but what about, right? So let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not condoning. To forgive somebody is not to condone what they did or, or to pretend like what they did wasn't serious or wrong or evil or hurtful. Sometimes I think people, they're afraid to forgive. They don't forgive because they're afraid if they forgive, they're going to send the message to that person that, that what they did wasn't that significant. But forgiveness is something else. It's, it's not agreeing with what someone did. Forgiveness is being set free from the root of bitterness that can take hold. It's the decision to release somebody from that debt and that obligation they owe you emotionally. Amen? Second thing, forgiveness is not always forgetting. Hmm. Somebody says to you, uh, you're supposed to forgive and forget. Where's that? What's that from? Right? It's not true. There's only one being in the universe who says he truly forgives and forgets, and that's God. And you're not God. I'm not God. Right? Now, hopefully in, a healthy situ in healthy relationships, what happens is we forgive, and forgiving means that we put that incident in the past. We put it back there where it can do us no more emotional harm. And it is back there. It doesn't need to get dredged up. It doesn't need to, we don't need to be reminded of it. You don't lash it like a weapon, you know, and during an argument. No, 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 it stays back there. But sometimes forgiving and forgetting is very, very destructive. Because let's face it, some people are toxic, right? Some people are dangerous. Some people are abusive. And, and if we do not set up proper boundaries, safe borders, because of the history there, then they can harm us again and again and again. And so forgiving them may also mean calling the authorities. Forgiving them may also mean taking out a restraining order. And at the same time, you can be going through the work inside you of forgiving this person for whatever sort of abuse they've afflicted, because those are two different issues, two different issues, forgiveness and forgetting right? Number three, forgiveness is not always reconciling. Not always reconciling. You know, it takes two to reconcile. Uh, and it may, it just, the truth is, it just may not go back to the way it was. Uh, you can forgive. It doesn't mean you're going to go back to being best friends necessarily. You may not go back to being business partners. And when someone tries to say, hey, past is past. Let's just, you know, let's just get right back into business together. Or past is past. Let, you know, let's, let's just move back in together. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Hold up. 
Reconciliation requires mutual trust, the building of trust, right? Trust is a different issue than forgiveness. The Bible doesn't command you to trust everybody, does it? It does command you to forgive everybody. It doesn't say you got to trust everybody. And that's what reconciliation is about. Okay, number four, last one here. I want to add this. Forgiveness is not always finished. Not all the time forgiveness is, is, is a one and done deal for us. Very often forgiveness is a pro- process. You know, sometimes the wrongs that are done to us have, have, been, have shaped us in such profound ways. Um, and there's so much emotional baggage you got going on that you have to unlearn a whole lot of behavior because you have hated this person for so long, right? And God is healing you and working on you. And so it's not always right away. This thing has become a part of your identity. So God has to actually transform you, give you a, make you, you into a new creation, a new identity, a new you. And so we need not be surprised when we have made the decision to forgive. And we might even find out every so often down the road that hurt comes back at some point. And so forgiving someone isn't always a one-time act. Um, You might have multiple days where you wake up and you're like, there it is. And you have to make the choice again and again and again. I am letting them go. I'm releasing them from this emotional debt. I forgive them. I forgive them again, right? Someone asked Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive? What did he say? They said, seven, seven's a bunch. He said, 70 times seven, which is actually this Hebrew euphemism that means infinitely. You just keep forgetting. I'm letting them go. But here's the good news. The good news is that that need to keep going back, that need will gradually extinguish the more and more that fire is going out, right? Those embers are going out. And one day you will realize, you'll realize that that thing carries no pain anymore. Even when the memory pops up, you'll just be like, get out of here. It's, it, it's lost its teeth. And that's a beautiful day. Perhaps you're here today. You might be here today and there's somebody you need to forgive. You know it inside. And as you're thinking about this person, as you dare to imagine what it would feel like to just say, the pain stops here. Maybe what we need first to admit is that we can't do this by ourselves. We are powerless without God's help. With his help, all things are possible. Amen? So here's some practical steps. I want to leave you with some good practical steps. Here's how we can unleash forgiveness in your life, all right? To set someone free and find out that person was you. Here we go. Step number one, repent. Wait a minute, that can't be right. That sounds wrong. That sounds wrong, right? Repent. That's like, that feels like the opposite of what I need to do. I'm the one that was hurt. One of the hardest things when you've been hurt is receiving God's mercy. Because what we want is God's justice. I want justice. James 2.13 tells us that his mercy triumphs over justice. God comes swooping in with mercy. And it's got to start with us. It's actually his mercy that is going to lead to our healing. All the justice in the world won't heal us. Admitting that we have to admit the ways that, that we have withheld from others 
his forgiveness for us. And that takes humility. And yes, that will feel like a kind of death. Receiving God's forgiveness, which by the way, you don't have to beg him for. He's already demonstrated it on the cross. So understand what I'm saying. You're not going to God to beg him for forgiveness. He's already forgiven you. He already did it, right? He's not holding anything against you. You need to receive it. You just need to receive his forgiveness. Let his love wash over you. Amen? You you begin to forgive someone else. But you can't begin to forgive someone else if you don't have a clear picture of your own forgiveness. This is why Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, you know, the Lord's Prayer, he's the one that Jesus made up, so we should pay close attention to it. He, He starts, he starts with forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our debts, before he goes on to the help us to forgive others. He starts with forgive us. So we're going to repent. We're going to receive that ocean of grace, that ocean of mercy and forgiveness. The next step, name the offense. Now, this may seem a little woo-woo to some of you, but the, the, this means identifying what was done to you. And there's a, there's a power in speaking it out loud. I'll just say that, right? Speak it out loud rather than just suppressing it and pretending like it's not really there. Um, identify the person who hurt you. You might even, it might have happened so long ago, it's buried so deep, you're just so angry all the time, you might need to ask God to remind you, what is it that, is, that I've got imprisoned in here? Who have I got locked up in my little jail? What's eating at me? Ask God to help you isolate that hurtful thing that was, that was so hard to forgive. There's a power in naming it out loud. And then do this. Imagine what justice would look like. It may be an impossible thing, but imagine what would it actually look like to be paid back for what they stole from you? Was it your stuff? Was it your reputation? Was it your childhood? Your marriage? Your self-worth? Your peace? What would it take to pay back, to give you back, however impossible, that which was stolen? What is that debt that they actually owe, owe to you? Speak it out, write it down, whatever works for you. And then step three, you declare that debt canceled. You take that piece of paper that you have written their name on, you've spelled out their crime against you, you've passed sentence, this is the sentence that satisfies cosmic justice, and you take that IOU upon which the well-being of your soul has depended all these years, and you toss it in the garbage. You burn it. You flush it down the toilet. You declare your decision to cancel this debt. You say, I am taking this emotional IOU that this person owes me, and I'm nailing it to the cross on which all debts have been paid for. At the heart of the gospel, guys, is Jesus' insistence that there is no more scorecard. He hasn't given you just extra points. He's ripped up the game. There's no more scorecard. There's no more accounting ledger at all. Jesus shows us that God does not love you for all the good you've done. He does not withhold love for all the bad you've done. His love is unconditional. It's a gift. It's grace. The only thing 
separating you from God is you. You're the only thing standing in the way. The gospel is death to the scorecard. But it also means that we have to die to the scorecard too. Where we keep track of who's wronged us, who's on our good side and who's on our bad side, who's been naughty or nice, who's worthy of our love and who's out. Jesus Christ crucified means that we must extend to others what God has extended to us. Are you having a hard time forgiving somebody? Are you having a hard time forgiving yourself? Maybe today is the day you say the pain stops here. I'm no longer letting that person rent space in my brain. I'm no longer holding us both in this prison. I'm setting someone free today, and that person is me. Can we bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you, Father, for, for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord. We invite you, Lord, into the painful places inside us, the bitter places. Lord, we invite you into the abuse, the betrayal, the gaslighting someone did to us, the abandonment, Lord. Holy Spirit, shine your light into these places that we have kept locked up and lead us. Lead us by the hand into freedom, into the light, into real forgiveness, Father. We repent, Lord, of all the ways in which we have played the revenge game or the silent treatment. We've gossiped the ways that we've played that passive-aggressive resentment card. Lord, we declare today the pain stops here. Lord, I know for some of us, this may mean experiencing a sort of death as we give up our need for blood. We give up our call for justice and we walk that walk of Christ through the grave and into resurrection, Father. May we, as a community, Lord, Generations Church, may we see new life among us, a new creation. May we see the kingdom bursting forth right here, right in the middle of this sad, angry world, Lord. May we represent the hope of Christ to this world who needs it so much. They need this hope. We praise you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy. We thank you, Lord God, that you enable us to reflect that grace and mercy on others as we have felt it as well. In the strong, resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Join us this Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.